Orson Welles was a television and radio personality back in the early to mid-1900s. He became really famous for a radio show called War of the Worlds that that came on many decades ago before, uh, before television was widespread. He came on the show, and the War of the Worlds was a program in which uh, Orson Welles, uh, as a radio announcer, came on and announced a worldwide invasion of aliens upon Earth. And there wasn't a whole lot of promotion for the show. There wasn't a whole lot of advertising for the show. And so people who tuned into their local radio stations and heard War of the Worlds literally thought, that an alien invasion of earth was taking place. And there was widespread panic all over uh, the world in which uh, the, the parts of the world that had radio access. People, people took their own lives thinking that an alien invasion uh, was, was occurring on earth. And of course, the whole thing was fictional. And uh, except for the tragic loss of, of, of many, many thousands of people's lives around the world, it was, it was laughable. Orson Welles once said this. He says, when you are down and out, something always turns up. And it's usually the noses of your friends, he said. Well, Orson Welles never had Abraham for a friend. I want you to look with me to uh, Genesis chapter 13. We're, we're in a series entitled Friends. We started it last week. And the whole purpose of this series is to, uh, to take us up to March 27th, Friend Day here at the church. And each, each message in the series consists of looking in the scripture at at least two different people and their friendship with each other. Last week, we saw that Abraham was a friend of God, that God identified Abraham as his friend. And we, we analyzed why Abraham could be called a friend of God. And we applied that to our own lives to see if you and I could justifiably be identified as friends of God. What does it take to be a friend of God? We saw that last week. But today, we're going to look Again at Abraham, but instead of Abraham's relationship with God, we're going to look at his relationship with his nephew, Lot. No one was ever more of a friend to Lot than his uncle Abraham. Abraham showed in his relationship with Lot that for him, for Abraham, Lot's needs always came first. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to get this point. True friends say to their friends, you go first. Your needs come first. What you need goes before what I need. You go first. Genesis chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. So Abram who later would be called Abraham, went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, which means house of God, 
to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's herders. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Did you hear that? We are close. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. So Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Last week we saw that Abraham was a friend of God, and today we find that not only was Abraham a friend to God, but Abraham was a friend to other people. In particular, he showed himself to be a true friend to his nephew Lot. To get Abraham's full story, you have to go back really to the verses just prior to Genesis chapter 12. But Genesis chapter 12 is the real meat of where we are introduced to Abraham. Abraham was living in the southern, what would today be the southern Iraqi city of, of Ur in what was then Mesopotamia. He was living in Ur of the Chaldeans when God spoke to him and said, I want you to get up away from your father's household, away from your country and go to a land that I will show you. Very vague instructions from God to Abraham. But Abraham got up and, and was obedient to those vague instructions. Well, for the most part, he was. He did get up and he headed in the direction that God wanted him to go, but he did not leave his father's household. He took his father with him. Evidently, Abram's mother was deceased, but Abram took his father, Terah, with him. Uh, Abram had had uh, two brothers. One of the brothers stayed back in Ur, and then his other brother, whose name was Haran, died inexplicably, while he was back in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, Haran and his wife, the wife is not mentioned, but evidently both of them are dead because they leave a son named Lot. And Abram takes it upon himself to carry Lot with him wherever he goes. So Abram and his father, Terah, and Lot, and then Abram's wife, Sarah, they get up from Ur of the Chaldees and they head toward Canaan. It seems from the last verses of Genesis chapter 11 that rather than Abraham leading this group, it's Terah who is leading the group from Ur on the way to Canaan. But the Bible says that after they left Ur, they went to the northern city of Mesopotamia that's called Haran. Very interesting, I think. Terah lost a son named Haran. They get up from Ur the Chaldeans. They go up toward Canaan, but they stop at a city called Haran and Genesis, the latter verses of Genesis 11 say that they got to Haran and they decided to settle there. 
It seems that Terah could not get past Haran. Both the loss of his son named Haran and the city named Haran. And the Bible says they settled there until Terah, Abram's father, died. Then Genesis chapter 12 says that when Abram was 75, after his father had died in Haran, Abram and Sarah and Abram's nephew Lot leave Haran on their way to the land of Canaan. Here Abram is still taking Lot along with him. I believe that sometime later he'd live to regret taking Lot along with him. Lot was nothing but trouble. He was the one who was constantly, uh, Abram was constantly having to go and get out of trouble, out of this trouble, out of that trouble. But, but Abraham still insisted on carrying Lot along. They travel about seven or 800 miles. When they get to the land of Canaan, they get to a place that's a desert-like place, but it's between a, a village called Bethel, or Bethel, which means house of God, and another city named Ai. Ai. Bethel means house of God. Ai in Hebrew means heap of ruins. And the Bible says that between Bethel, the house of God, and Ai, the heap of ruins, uh, Abram erects a place of worship a primitive place of worship, an altar to God. And after he does that and worships, he continues on because there's a famine in the land. Chapter 12 in Genesis say, tell us that, that Abram took his group and they went on down into Egypt because of the famine. And they stayed there a while. They got into some trouble down there that we, we won't go into. But after some time staying in Egypt, they got up and they were basically expelled by the Egyptians and they came back up into the land of Canaan. And they seemed to be like people who didn't know where they were going. The Bible says that Abram went from place to place, going from place to place, until finally he made it back up to that little area between Bethel, what is it? House of God. And Ai, what is it? Heap of ruins. Found his way back up to that place between those two little villages to where that altar was, that worshiping place that he had built. And there, the Bible says in chapter 13, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Isn't it, uh, isn't it quite often our experience, yours and mine, that we find ourselves going from place to place and we always seem to end up somewhere between the house of God and a heap of ruins? Isn't that quite often where we find ourselves? And it's in that place somewhere between the house of God and a heap of ruins that we will finally erect a primitive place of worship and we'll start calling on the name of the Lord? Abram did. The Bible says that during all those journeys, Abraham grew in his wealth and in his livestock and in his servants. But not only did he grow, but the Bible says that his nephew Lot grew as well to the point where the land could not contain the two men and all of their servants and all of their livestock. That's, a, that's an incredible statement that the land, as massive as it was, could not contain the two men and everything they had, all of their possessions. And so the Bible says that Abram looked around and he turned to Lot and he says, we got to do something about this. Now, the experience that Abram has with Lot is one that teaches us so many things that we really don't even have time to discuss all of the lessons they teach us in one single sermon. But I do want to share with you some of the things that I believe God teaches us about true friendships as we look at this relationship between Abram and Lot. 
The Bible tells us that when the, the two men and their possessions grew beyond the ability for the land to contain them, that the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot began quarreling with each other, arguing with each other. And it was that that prompted Abram to have a meeting with Lot. And so what this tells us, first of all, is this, that true friends seek to resolve conflict immediately by diplomatic means. By diplomatic means. Now, let me tell you, the fact that Abram called Lot together to meet with him and work this problem out diplomatically is a major, major statement. Now, it may not seem that much to us uh, in the 21st century, but let me tell you something. Back in that day, people didn't exercise a whole lot of diplomacy. If you wanted something, you went to war and you took it. If somebody had something that you wanted that you didn't have, you simply did away with them and you took it. It was the generally accepted way of getting what you wanted, whether it was family or not. I told you a few weeks ago, some centuries later, about King Herod. You remember King Herod who lived at the time Jesus was born? Listen, he killed his mother because he thought, I mean, his wife, because he thought his wife was trying to to, uh, take his king kingdom from him. He killed three of his sons because he thought they were trying to take his kingdom from him. It didn't matter if it was family or not back then. If somebody had something you wanted, or if you were afraid that somebody, whether it was family or not, was trying to take something that you had, you killed them. It was a mafia type world that that, uh, people lived. As a result, all of the major cities had thick wall. They were, they were fortress cities, including Jerusalem, including Jericho, including all of the major cities of the Middle East. So the fact that Abram decided to talk with Lot, his nephew, and exercise diplomacy is a major, major statement. It's obvious here that Abram loves this man, this, this young man Lot. Now, Lot doesn't deserve his love. Uh, you, you read Genesis chapter 13 and Genesis chapter 14. This is not a man who deserves Abram's love. But Abram's love for Lot is not dependent upon Lot's worthiness or whether or not he deserves Abram's love. Abram just simply loves Lot. And that love for Lot prompted Abram to seek a diplomatic solution. Now, there's another little hint in this passage, though, that I think uh, is very important and certainly was on Abram's mind. It's in the latter part of verse 7. Verse 7 says, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's herders. And then you find this obscure part of the verse. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Now, who were the Canaanites and the Perizzites? They were enemies. They were the enemies of Abraham. All through the Old Testament, you don't hear that much about the Perizzites, but the Canaanites and, and their, later, uh, their later family members, the, the Philistines, were constantly in battle against Israel, against God's people. And so what you find here is Abram, he, he seeks a diplomatic solution to the problem that has erupted between him and his nephew Lot, in part because he loves Lot. He says to him, he says, listen, listen, we shouldn't have this quarreling. You and I are close, Lot. We're close relatives. We shouldn't have this this quarreling. But the other reason is he knew that the enemies in the land, the Perizzites and the Canaanites, were looking on. And they were more than eager to take advantage of a split between Abram and Lot. Now, 
Let me just stop here and, and say, say a word. Everybody in this room has friends. You all have friends, uh, at least one, and hopefully a whole lot more than one. But you all have friends. But let me also tell you something else. You have somebody somewhere who doesn't like you. If for no other reason, Satan will ensure that there's somebody near you who doesn't like you. And they will be constantly looking for an open door to plow their way into your life and wreck what you have and who you are and your relationships with God and other people. There are always parasites and Canaanites in the land. And for that reason, you and I need to go several extra miles to ensure that the friendships that we have remain strong. Abram loved Lot. Abram was aware of the Perizzites and Canaanites who wanted to come between him and Lot. And so Abram insisted on a diplomatic solution and he did not wait long to achieve it. He immediately addressed the problem. You know, this is something that, that is difficult for me to do. I like to wait. Now, sometimes waiting is really good. Sometimes waiting is wise. But I wait when I ought not to wait. That's, that's part of my problem. Uh, other people, they, they jump in abruptly when they should be waiting. But for Abram, he did not wait. He realized that, that a peaceful solution was something that he needed to address immediately. And he did not wait around. True friends seek to resolve conflict immediately by diplomatic means. Now, there's a second lesson we learn from Abraham and Lot's relationship, and that is this, that friends put the need of the needs of others before their own. Now, Abraham is the most, the single most well-respected person in the Old Testament. When the Jews of Jesus' time wanted to connect themselves to their forefathers, they did not call themselves the children of Moses. Although Moses was in the top two or three of the people they respected, but even with all of his respect, the children of Israel did not consider themselves the children of Moses. They considered themselves the children of Abraham. Abraham is our father, the Jews, the Pharisees said to Jesus, but you don't even have a father, alluding to his illegitimacy or supposed illegitimacy. Abraham is our father. And to that, Jesus, you remember, said, if you even knew Abraham, listen, he says, I knew Abraham because before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> Abraham was a man of great respect. And so, just out of that respect alone, even at this early time in Genesis, Abraham, because of his age difference over Lot, Lot was much younger, Abraham had authority over Lot. He had every right. He was totally justified to say, okay, Lot, here's what we're going to do. We can't, we can't, uh, your herdsman and my herdsman, your family and my family, we can't stay in the same place because the land won't contain us. So, I'm going to take this land and you take what's left. He could have said that. He had every right to do so. He would have been justified and nobody would have blamed or, or found fault with Abraham for having done that. But it's not what he did. The Bible said this in verse 9. Abraham says to Lot, he says, Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you choose the left, then I'll go to the right. 
If you choose the right and go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Do you know what Abraham was basically saying to Lot? He was saying, Lot, I'm going to let you choose first. I'm going to let you go first. Do you remember when you were in uh, elementary school out on the playground and and, uh, you decided to play an unofficial game of either flag football or softball or some sort of game that required two teams, do you remember? And you'd take a, a ball bat and somebody would flip it up in the air and they'd catch it. And then you'd do this number here. Do you remember that? Hello? And then somebody would, would, would put their hand, it would end up with their hand up on the knob of the bat. And that person got to choose first. Everybody wanted to choose first because everybody knew that old so-and-so over there was the superstar that they wanted on their team. You can have all the slackos, but I want Jacko on my team right here. Abram says, Lot, we don't even need a bat. You choose first. Abram put the needs of Lot, his friend, before his own needs. It, is, uh, it was uh, uh, an attitude, a, a, a matter of conduct on the part of Abraham that is echoed later in Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. You remember them very well. Jesus said this. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, don't do this the way Patsy says, which is do to others before they do to you. Don't do that. Do it Jesus' way. <laughs> Abram did to Lot what he wanted Lot to do to him, and that is he put him first, and he put his needs first. The Bible says in verse 10 that Lot looked around. He saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered. It looked like the garden of the Lord where they'd come from in Mesopotamia. It looked like the land of Egypt from which they had just returned. And so Lot, the Bible says, verse 11, Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and he set out toward the east and the two men parted company. Now, you can't help but read verses 10, 11, and 12. You can't help but read those and come away with, with, this, with this feeling. Lot is one selfish guy. Has there ever been a more selfish person than Lot? You, you just can't escape that conclusion. He comes across as really selfish. Now, you might think, we might think that Abraham was thinking this. If I let Lot go first, then he will show me the same respect that I showed him for letting him go first, and he will choose the less favorable of the two areas to live. But Lot did not do that. Instead of choosing the least favorable place to live, he chose the best possible property in which to live. And that turned out to not be so. We'll learn that in a chapter or two. But for the time being, it was the best place to go, and so Lot chose that. He did not give to Abram the same respect that Abram gave to him. 
But that leads me to the third point about true friends. It's simply this. True friends put others first without expectations from the other person. I speculate that there's something that you and I dislike very much. Now, I'm speculating because I don't know for sure. I can't speak for you, nor can you speak for me, but I'm speculating that you and I, there's something you and I don't like. You know one of the things we don't like? We don't like having people do stuff for us for fear that they will expect us to do something back. Isn't that a terrible thing to say? You ever felt that way? Somebody offers you something and you're reluctant to take it. You're reluctant to accept it for fear of the strings attached. But Abram gave to Lot and literally was giving with no strings attached. He was giving to Lot. Lot, you go first, and Lot did go first. Uh, Abram did not expect anything in return. He had no expectations of reciprocal goodwill on the part of Lot. He just said, Lot, you go first. And of course, Lot did go first. And he chose selfishly. Now, did that make Abram mad? If it did, there's not a hint of it in Genesis 13 and 14, which leads me even more to say Abram had no expectations on the part of Lot. As far as he was concerned, I'm giving him first choice. I'm putting his needs before mine. And that is it. He had no expectation. Let me ask you something. When you do things for people. And I know you do. So many of you have done so much. One of these days, I'll tell you what we're going to do. If you're willing to participate in this, because I have people all the time saying, why, why, why don't why don't your church do do more for the poor, or do more for the hungry, or do more for missions or do more for for the home? Why don't y'all do more? I hear that quite often. I'm pretty sick of it. Number one, because there's some pretty obvious things this church is doing that I don't know many churches anywhere that are doing. But besides that, there are things that you're doing that nobody else knows. And so one of these days, I just want to pass a clipboard around. Nobody puts a name on it. You don't put your name on it. But I want you, sometime I want you to think about, okay, now, uh, my family gave $500 last December to Doctors Without Borders. And let's say we gave uh, $300 to the children's home. We put, uh, uh, we gave uh, $500 to the race for Raleigh. And we, let's see, and... Uh, and we designated $350 to Lottie. I just want you to write it down. Not your name, because this is not for bragging rights. I just want, I think we'd be amazed at what all you're doing or God is doing through you. I didn't have that written down here, so that was just extra. <laughs> you don't have to pay for that. <laughs> Friends put others first without expectations from the recipient, the, re- the receiving party. Number four. Okay, okay, Jim, 
So if I have a friend, I have a friend who I really count as a friend, but he or she never seems to really appreciate what I do. And, and they're all the time just on the giving end. They're just takers, takers, takers. But I, I count them as friends. If I give to them and let them go first the way Abraham did to Lot, and they do me the way Lot did, then what? Well, here's what. True friends trust God to even things out. True friends don't have to balance the books. In fact, isn't that exactly what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It throws out the books. You know what the New Testament writers remembered most about Abram? Abraham? Here it is. I'll just, I'll just quote it from James. James chapter 2. Abraham trusted God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He trusted God. He didn't have to worry about balancing the books of the relationships. Who was ahead? Was it Lot? I mean, nowhere did Abraham say, okay, now let's see... Uh, uh, after that little, that little incident where we parted ways, let's see, Lot got, keeping score here, and ooh, I need to catch up. No, he never did that. He trusted God to do that. When you do something good for somebody, don't expect anything back from them, and then don't worry about whether, whether the relationship is uneven. Just allow God the room to even things out. Back during the 60s, 70s, and even into the 80s, one of the premier journalists in America was a fellow by the name of Harry Reasoner. He wasn't as great as uh, David Brinkley or Walter Cronkite, but he was still a great journalist. Started out in newspaper and then in radio, uh, spent some time overseas in the Philippines as a journalist, and he came back to America and uh, ended up on TV. Uh, whenever on, on, on the day, November the 22nd, 1963, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, shot and assassinated, Walter Cronkite was on the air and he spent four straight hours. And then when he was uh, to the point of almost exhaustion, he passed the mic over to a young Harry Reasoner. And from that point on, he would alternate in and out as an anchor on CBS Evening News. And then he went over to ABC, was the co-anchor, and then the lead anchor, and then the co-anchor again of ABC Evening News. And then he and Mike Wallace got together in 1968, and they founded and put together 60 Minutes, which is the longest-running television show as, it, as we speak in the history of television. Harry Reasoner retired in 1991, and he died three months after his retirement. He was a lifelong chain smoker. He died of lung cancer. Andy Rooney was one of his best friends. If you ever watch 60 Minutes, you know that at the end of 60 Minutes, Andy Rooney does his little commentary. And when Harry Reasoner died, Andy Rooney... His, one of his best friends gave a tribute to him in his commentary that concluded a, a segment of 60 Minutes. 
And he spoke of all of Harry Reasoner's accomplishments and how wonderful a friend he was and, and went on and on about accolades, giving accolades to Harry Reasoner. And then he ended up his tribute to Harry Reasoner by saying this. He said, but Harry, I am so angry that you were so careless with our feelings for you. That's something Abraham could have said to Lot. Lot, I'm so angry that you were so careless about my feelings for you. But Abraham wouldn't stop there. He would go on and say, but I love you anyway. And that's why I let you go first. True friends do that, you know. They'll put you first. Are you a true friend? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, make us your friends. For certainly, Lord... What made Abraham such a good friend to Lot was first that he was such a good friend to you and that he embraced your friendliness toward him. There are people here right now who have not started a friendship with you because they have not invited Jesus Christ, your son, into their lives to be their savior and their Lord and their best friend. And Lord, I pray that when we stand up to sing, those who have not made that decision will come to this altar where we have people who can help them in inviting you into their hearts. But Lord, for those of us who do have a relationship with you, Lord, help us to search our hearts and minds to see truly what kind of friend I am, what kind of friends we are. And make a commitment right now that will change our relationships not only with you but with other people from this day forward. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Lord, may we make a commitment to be the type of friend to our spouse that will change the quality of that relationship from this day forward. Lord, help us to put others first and let you worry about the books. Lord, I also pray for those who have a relationship with you, but they don't have a relationship with a church. Oh, they may attend this church or that church or some other church, but as far as officially becoming members of a local church, they haven't done that. There are people in this room that you've been dealing with. There's been a quiet voice in the hearts and minds of these folks. Don't you think you ought to join Palmetto Baptist today? Why not today? Lord, help us to be a friend to you, to be a friend to friends, and to be a friend of the church, your church. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>